Canucks Central Thursday. We are a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. Lots to come on the program. David Pinota going to join us from Denver. Scott Wheeler on the draft. Jordan Hall out of Philly. What's happening with John Tortorella? As we give you a big addition of Canuck Central on this year of the day that Vancouver, our fair city, has been officially named as a World Cup host. We knew it was happening, Sat, but it's been made official. Once again, Vancouver is going to be able to show the world just how great a city it is. I am absolutely hyped for it. I mean, we were expecting it. I know that last week, Earth mentioned it. I mean, you had the news uh, yesterday broke it that there's going to be six matches in Vancouver for the World Cup. So Canuck Central and uh, big contributors to Canuck Central have been on top of this story uh, for weeks here. But honestly, like like I mentioned on social media, um, as a huge sports fan myself, yeah. and as somebody who loves this city, the fact that we got to experience the Olympics in 2010, and who knows what happens with 2030, and in that same generation, my lifetime, I'm going to watch World Cup soccer in Vancouver. So it's very exciting. It's uh, it's going to be an exciting time welcoming the world. That whole World Cup is going to be fascinating. 16 cities. Imagine planning out a uh, a World Cup trip during that time. Uh, so I know there's a lot of people listening to the podcast being like, I don't want you to talk soccer. It's Canuck Central. So let's get into some of the hockey things. Speaking of showing off our great city, a potential future Canuck is learning, and thankfully mm. the sun came out. A potential future Canuck is uh, getting a tour of the city today, a tour of the Vancouver Canucks. Andre Kuzmenko interviewing in Vancouver. Today. Yeah, and uh, on the heels of coming here from Edmonton, and last night apparently he was seen at the Joey's in Edmonton meeting with Oilers Brass. Is there another restaurant in Edmonton? Like, seriously. I, is I, there, I, everybody I know goes to this Joey's. Even I, I was in Edmonton. for Literally, I flew in in the morning, called a soccer match, left in the evening. Yeah. The one thing I did... Was go to the Joey's in Edmonton. It's a good Joey's. I it will say Joey's. it is a good yeah. Joey's. I, just, I I've made it. I, I don't even. I don't dislike Edmonton. I don't. I don't. I I don't mind Edmonton. Yeah. I, I really don't even mind Edmonton. I don't. Um, but if Andre Kuzmenko signs in Vancouver after Edmonton didn't get the World Cup, <laughs> and also Kuzmenko stays in Vancouver after visiting Edmonton, I do feel for Edmonton sports fans. Yeah. If that turns out to be the case. Uh, they got Connor McDavid. They had Wayne Gretzky. You know, okay. <laughs> yeah. They they used up a lot of their good karma. It's, yeah, sorry. They have <laughs> a Leon. Of those things. They have Leon Draisaitl. He yeah. has an absolute beast. But uh, you know, as far as Kuzmenko goes, it's interesting because we're finally getting to the point where a decision is going to be made. And it's you, imminent. It's yeah. imminent. It's going to be you know, within a week or so. I mean, what, I think that's what Rick mentioned. A yep. week, a week to ten days or so, uh, we'll get an answer on where Kuzmenko wants to play. And, and you kind of mentioned the sunshine is going to come out a bit later today. So at least he gets to see the city in all its true glory, yes. which will be nice and, and, and positive. But I am curious to see, I mean, we won't know, but what type of pitch they're making. Because one thing Rutherford mentioned to us or mentioned a while earlier to the media, I would say, or in an interview he did. He's done so many. I don't. I can't recall yep. which specific one it was, Reach. But he said, we might be in a position where we can offer some players opportunity so we can offer a guy a role in the top six in the top nine playing potentially some minutes on the second unit power play or vying for a meaningful spot on the team you can't guarantee things but i would imagine part of their pitch is look at the team we have up front you're gonna get a chance to either play with a guy like Pedersen, either a guy like horvat potentially a guy like miller 
that's what we have to offer you. So you have the potential of playing with some really good players uh, here in Vancouver. And look, what's Kuzmenko's number one priority in signing this contract? It should be going to a place. (laughs) People aren't going to want to hear this. It's not necessarily about winning, but it's where he can set himself up best for unrestricted free agency, which just so happens to come at the end of the one-year deal he is about to sign because he will sign a one-year entry-level contract with whichever team he chooses, and because he'll be 27 upon the expiry of that contract, he will then be an unrestricted free agent. So what are you trying to do? You are trying to set yourself up for a good season, a strong season, and showcase yourself for a potential multi-year, multi-million dollar contract next summer. And he's a guy who's very has, who's kind of set this up in this way. Yeah. Because you have to sign a one-year entry-level contract when you come over. No matter what. Yeah. So he waited to, the, to this time. He's 26. So now he signs a one-year deal. Then he's UFA. This is, you're right, all about him setting himself up to have success in the NHL long term. It may not be in that destination that he starts in. I mean, yeah. he... I think it's been, you know, I think some of the reporting has been that he would prefer to go to a situation where he can stay long term and he can have success. And that would be, you know, the ideal type of situation for him. wouldn't? Of course, right? I mean, he wants stability and and if it works out, great. But it is all about how well can I play? How many points can I score? How how big of an impact player can I be so I get a big contract when I'm 27? Because that's going to be his time to strike. Yeah, you know, if he has a good season, he might get a four or five year deal into his thirties, and that's his chance to have a, to have success in the National Hockey League. If he doesn't have success one year, he probably goes back to Russia. He's not, you know, I don't imagine or see him coming in and and showing enough value that he's all of a sudden like a seven million dollar player. But you know, can he set himself up for a three or four year deal worth, yeah. you know, uh, upwards of sixteen million dollars? Yeah, and even. And, I'm sure he looks at it and says, I can be a star player. Yeah. And if you come in and, and you're, say, if you if he gets to the half a point per game range and plays every night and it doesn't get buried in the lineup, then he's going to get a contract at least in the $4 million range. Yeah. You know, you're right. But, you know, if he has a good season, then you're talking about even more potentially. But is Vancouver a spot? Let's say for argument's sake, if you have Miller here and you have Horvat here and you keep Garland, you keep Besser, where does he fit in? takes the Tanner Pearson spot. Right? One yes of the, and, that that top 6 left yeah. wing role. Given how Boudreaux used the lineup though. Yeah. Would you what's more likely that he drops Garland or Pearson? Whew. Uh now, now this this all this is all predicated on the fact that Kuzmenko comes in and plays well enough and and, and is a staple in the top 6. Yeah. More and likely, that's an assumption right now. Yeah, more likely is Garland uh, than Pearson. Um, so if you're the GM, do you just trade Pearson then <laughs> so, the, so the coach can't use him at that point? Potentially, and I think that is a very uh, possible outcome for Tanner Pearson's future with the Vancouver Canucks this summer. So so on that note, like what is what are the domino effects? Should the Canucks land Andre Kuzmenko? What are the domino effects of that signing to the Vancouver Canucks. Is there now more room to trade JT Miller or one of those top six forwards that we mentioned? Does it 
make you more comfortable in trading a Tanner Pearson to open up cap space? What are the domino effects that could potentially happen if Andre Kuzmenko does happen to sign with the Vancouver Canucks? It would give you the option, for instance, like we talked about, like there is a way for you to trade Tanner Pearson right now. You probably don't get a lot back in return, but you can clear the money. Yeah. But if you look at it and say, well, in a year's time, when he's in the final year of his contract, he continues playing this way, he'll be worth a lot as a rental, or at least a lot more than he's worth right now. So what reason do we have to punt on that value? Well, the cap space may be necessary. And now you have an excess, and maybe that becomes something you go out and do because you have a player that you feel like can at least fill that type of a role that gives you a chance now to clear space elsewhere. But as far as Miller and Horvat and or Garland or Besser or any of the big guys yet to be determined their future are to be concerned, I, I, I really don't think they should be dependent in any way on Kuzmenko signing or not. I mean, Kuzmenko could just be a one-year deal. Yeah. So a player on a one-year deal who may not even be here next season, right. that can't be something that you're that you're holding as... That's not something that has to happen for you to trade JT or Bo. Like you can't be, you can't, you can't rely on a one-year deal type of thing for UFA with no control, and then decide to trade Miller because of that or keep Miller because of that. Yeah, it, this is the type of signing because it would be so cheap. It helps the Canucks remain competitive for next year. What? I don't think it's crazy to say. All right, we add Kuzmenko to this lineup. Maybe now we are less inclined to move JT Miller and to make one of those big decisions of let's just see where this goes and play it out during the course of the season and then maybe make a decision closer to the trade deadline. I think that could be a possible outcome here because you're adding a potential significant piece to your roster and not taking away anything from it. And it very much so fits into your salary cap structure because it's less than a million bucks. Yeah, but if you don't get contracts figured out for JT or Bo, then you're talking about next season being in a situation where if Kuzmenko plays well, Kuzmenko, Horvat, and Miller yeah. are all guys you have to hold on at the deadline because you're a good team and all these guys are playing well. And then you got to figure out contracts for all three of those players. Yeah. That just doesn't and seem potentially like... Potentially using one or more for free. And then maybe one leaves for nothing. Yeah. Or two leave for nothing. And then you're left holding, you know, what. But I mean, the one reason not, I like that, it, it feels like something prior management would have done potentially. If you're all in, if you really yeah. got to win this year. And, but, but I mean, it goes against everything Alvin and Rutherford have told us in that this has to be, you know, kind of a longer term project. Yeah. I mean, listen, we, we can sit here and talk about Kuzmenko in so many different ways. I don't think it, it really impacts the Canucks decision making, nor should it really impact the Canucks decision making on those big players. Because at the end of the day, We've talked about this so many different times, and I don't want to get into specific trades for which players or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's very clear this team can sign everybody if they want to. But if you do, where is the help coming down the road? Yeah. Where is your cap flexibility, number one? And number two, where are the young players coming from? Where are those guys that fill roles as time go on? You can't just keep signing un, you know, dra- undrafted free agents or guys that went unsigned by other teams and hoping that those guys hit. Yeah, maybe one guy does. Maybe two guys end up helping you out. But you're not finding difference makers there. You're not finding guys to really supplement your roster there. And right now, the only guy they got coming is Jack Rathbone. Yeah. And yeah, you got a good pick this year, but that might be a couple of years off. And if you're looking at Demko four years from now when his contract's up, you have a window here to do something in the next four years. At least take advantage of a couple of those years. Yeah. Well, how are you going to do that without adding to your prospect pool and having more picks and assets? And how do you do that without moving a big piece at some point? 
you know, like that, that's my question. So I, I don't think any of that is really dependent on Kuzmenko because ultimately, if they want to have the type of team that's going to be a contender long term, they have to have star players, but they also have to be able to supplement that. And they don't have that extra coming right now to supplement the core. It's, um, it is, every time I think about this, uh, I continue to be baffled at just how the Canucks have ended up here with so few assets, despite the fact that they've made the playoffs so few times in the last eight years. But that's not the point we're here to make today. It's how do you get better from here on out? And that's the big question of this offseason. And I wonder, you know, even just watching and thinking about the Colorado Avalanche as they've made it to the Stanley Cup final here, I got this question on Twitter yesterday. And you mentioned the long-term assets. Could a Miller trade or Horvat, as we discussed earlier in the week on the podcast, find it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, but could a Miller trade be akin to the trade Colorado made with Matt Duchesne that essentially became a catalyst for them to finally get out of the dumpster? You need a trade, whatever trade you make, the big one, to hit like that, potentially. But I do think the Duchesne trade is almost like it's a bit of a unicorn trade. Right. It's a three-way deal. Mm-hmm. And when you look at everything that came Colorado's way, everything aligned really perfectly. They got Gerard from Nashville. Yeah. They got the lottery pick from Ottawa. And those those are the two important pieces. The rest, there's some stuff that helped you. But those are the real pieces. And it took two teams to get that. Yeah. So that's it's hard to get two pieces like that from one team and both hitting. So I, I don't know if you can replicate the Duchesne value. You know what I mean? But the point being, and to the person that you know tweeted you that question... That's what the Canucks have to do. Mm-hmm. They they have to make one big trade at some point, whenever that is. And they have to hit on that trade. And maybe it's not to the level of the Duchesne trade, but they got to come away with that trade with a difference-making piece. That two years down the road or three years down the road, we're sitting here and talking about, man, that player, that's why you made that deal because we got that guy. The the thing, the other thing about the Duchesne trade, and you, know, you can thank the Senators, uh, you can thank San Jose, you can thank... The Maple Leafs for this. It's very rare teams will trade a first rounder and not have it somewhat lottery protected. Mm-hmm. Like the Vegas Golden Knights traded a first round pick this year for Jack freaking Eichel when, yes, injury concerns, all that for sure, but one of the best centermen in the league. And even that was lottery protected. Yeah. It was top 10 protected. By the Vegas Golden Knights. Now, obviously, they still had to give it up because they have the 16th overall pick in the draft. But if Jack Eichel is only getting a top 10 protected pick, I can't imagine JT Miller doesn't like gets a first round selection without any, you know, conditions or protection attached, assuming it's for next year's draft and not the upcoming one in July. I think it all kind of depends on the on what else you're getting. Yeah. Like so, the Eichel trade. The other parts were Peyton Krebs and and Alex Tuck. Yeah. And at the time, Krebs was their top prospect. That's the guy they did not yeah. want to trade. You could sell it as three first rounders because Tuck was yeah. a first rounder too many years ago. And Tuck's a good player too, and he's a good player. Um, you know, not, not a, a control. Diff- yeah, and not a difference maker in the, in the sense of being a star, but a good hockey player. 
But they weren't willing to not only give up their top prospect, but also give an unprotected pick. Now, hey, it's it's only going to be the 16th overall pick this year. It doesn't matter because because Vegas was never going to be that bad where it ends up being you know a top 10 pick or something. I think you can get an unprotected pick if you don't. The next piece isn't their best prospect. But you you probably not, you're not getting a team's two best assets. Yeah, that's just not happening. Teams are very reluctant to trade their two top assets, completely unprotected. Yeah. There has to be some level of security for a team. They'll give you one. The second one, they want some sort of hedge. So the the idea of the Canucks hitting the same home run the Avalanche did with the Duchesne trade is a bit of a pipe dream, if we're if I'm being honest. Yeah, like it's, it's kind of like the Eric Carlson trade. Yeah. You know, that worked out for Ottawa in mm-hmm. hindsight now with, with what type of pick it ended up being with the way San Jose face planted. They got Josh Norris. Yeah. You know, I mean, think they got things, Josh Norris and a lottery pick, and, and ended up being a top what, top five pick. Yeah, Stutzla out of it, wasn't it? Yep. I mean, it, it's insane, but that never happens if San Jose never face face plants. Yeah, and hey, could the Rangers face plant next year? Uh, I, I assume it's possible, you but know, not to that degree. If they don't get the goaltending from Igor Shesterkin that they did this year, but they're still a good hockey team, yeah. right? Like a decent enough hockey team. I can't imagine them being bottom ten in the league as early as next year. So, yeah, there's some factors there, but... I mean, your best bet is to make sure you get a great prospect. This is so easy to say. Make sure you, you get that prospect you know is going to hit, yeah. and then you got to nail your draft pick. That first round pick you get, you just got to nail it. And that's essentially how this trade works out best for the Vancouver Canucks. Duchesne trade, it was a unicorn, and maybe there is that one team that really just says, we have to have JT Miller. Yeah. He's the guy that puts us over the top. It could potentially be the Rangers. That say, okay, we just made it to the conference final. JT Miller's that piece that puts us over the top and gets us that one step closer. I don't know how Chris Drury's thinking about it, but he was obviously reluctant to pay the high price the Canucks had in season this year. Maybe now he feels a little bit more comfortable with that after the success the Rangers had. The one thing that is kind of similar from the Canucks' perspective on that, Joe Sackick was super patient yeah. On the Duchesne trade. He had time, though. He did. He had a lot of time to slow play it out. The Canucks have essentially... They've not used all of their time, but they've used a good chunk of their time by not trading Miller before last year's trade deadline. Now the draft is obviously another sort of mini deadline, and then you're looking at the start of the season and then in season, which becomes really dicey given where the team may be and not wanting to move that player when you are in the thick of a playoff race. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. We are Canucks Central here on Sportsnet 650. There's a lot of ways that the Canucks can potentially open up cap space. Maybe you add Kuzmenko or not. Fair. But can they open up cap space to do some other things? We've talked about trading Tanner Pearson. We've talked about potentially moving a Tyler Myers mm-hmm. to really open up some cap space. I started thinking about Jason Dickinson recently and just how much of a candidate he is as a buyout because it seems to be coming up quite a lot. Uh, Jason Bukala, who was on uh, Canucks Hour earlier and has a full off-season rundown of what the Canucks may and should do over at sportsnet.ca right now, he lists you know, buying out Jason Dickinson there and saving... million on the salary cap. Is that, it's not something I love doing. You never love adding the extra years of 
of a cap charge. But do you see that as a realistic outcome for the Vancouver Canucks this year, Sat? I believe it's a, it's a realistic consideration. I'm not sure on the outcome, to be honest. Yeah. But the the thing I don't like about the buyout is why you're kicking two extra years of 941000 on the cap down the, down the road. Like, why, why are we doing that? And that's an entry-level contract. It's yeah. not insignificant, you know? And why not have clean books when you get through the next two years? And if you wait one more year to buy out Dickinson, then it's even less of a charge. So you can give it one more year to see it. The only reason I would buy out Jason Dickinson is that that cap space would allow you to do something. Mm-hmm. Like there's an opportunity cost to not buying out Jason Dickinson. And that would be dependent on, hey, we have a deal in place that we need to make and we need this extra bit of cap space. When here's a free agent we want to get, hey, we need that extra bit of cap space to get that free agent. If that's something you are you need the cap space for, okay, fine, buy him out. But if that's not there, I don't see the upside in it. I see Jason Dickinson as uh, a small bounce back candidate. Yeah, I know a lot of things haven't really fit for him. In Vancouver, but like there's still a player there that has elements that the Canucks could use. You know, Jim Rutherford kept talking about structure, and Jason Dickinson is a guy defensively responsible on the ice, and the numbers bore that out this year. Essentially, not much happens when Jason Dickinson is on the ice, but even though it's a higher cap charge than you would like, I still think there is some value there and probably a better season in tow for a Jason Dickinson type player. This is all about what the Canucks truly want to do this year, right? And what they think about adding, how much they want to add. And we talked about their offseason strategy, what types of players they yeah. may be looking for yesterday on the show. But you're right. This has to be something that, okay, if we're going to make this happen, we absolutely need to have a plan in place of how we're using that $1.7 million. Yeah, and and now there is the straight cash consideration for it where you look at it and say, well, you saved $2 million in real cash. But when you factor in that you have to at least pay seven fifty for an entry-level, con- for a minimum contract for a guy to play on your roster, for those two years, that's $1.5 million. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, and when you factor in escrow, actually, and everything, it's about as negligent. There's no real cash savings in this move. And there is some level of cap, cap saving, no cash savings really, and just a level of cap consideration for it. I just, I don't see the upside for it. The only way would be that the Canucks are in a bidding war mm-hmm. for, say, Philip Forsberg or somebody, right? And it's like, hey, we need the extra million in cap space because we've got to give this guy nine and a half million to sign this contract or something. That's a fun scenario. That would be fun. I just don't know if that's feasible or or that's realistic. Dead cap is a bit of a killer. Canucks have quite a bit of it. You know, they got rid of uh, Roberto Luongo's three million and change cap recapture penalty this year and replaced it with two point four million in dead cap penalties buyouts to Braden Holpe and Jake Vertanen, plus the overage as well to Yaroslav Halak. So that brings your dead cap to a little over $3 yeah. million dollars again. Well, and listen, I think Jason Dickinson, and you mentioned the fact that there is a bounce, bounce back candidate to him. If this team is actually decent next year, and I mean like, hey, they're a team that's in a real playoff spot from the beginning and they're really vying for it, even if he plays a third line role on the wing and is a bit better on the PK and give you cover down the middle when need be, all of a sudden he can be a piece that helps you out. You know, like he's not a bad hockey player. No, he just had a really bad first season with this team. That's why I don't like the idea of buying him out because I think there is some level of 
bounce back to his game, they can help you out next season, at least more than a guy in a minimum contract. It's Stan Richo, Satyar Shah. We are Canuck Central. Coming up, David Pinota is going to join us live from Denver on an empty bus, I think. We'll find out next on Canuck Central. Canuck Central is a presentation of your local Grip Auto entire location. Friendly service and expert advice are waiting for you at gripauto.ca today. A lot of uh, reaction coming in from our live listeners. You can always listen live on uh, the Sportsnet app on your smart speaker at home. Hey, play Sportsnet 650. And, of course, on your radio, 650 on the AM dial, 96.9 HD3 on your FM dial. Appreciate those listening live. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text line. I understand players wanting to get paid, but unless they take a hometown discount, it's tough to compile a consistent contender. In Edmonton's case, they need to trade McDavid or hope the cap goes up significantly. Players need to understand this. Certain players have done this in the past. <laughs> in parenthesis, Crosby. <laughs> yeah, you got to trade McDavid. That's that's the key. Listen, the key to Edmonton having success is trading Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. That's what you got to do. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> that's, that's how Edmonton fixes their issues. I mean... Uh, Edmonton's not that far off. If you look at their commitments, look look at how much money they're spending on the roster. Yeah. And they have a few contracts that aren't great here and there. But if you look at, say, CC, the money they spent on him, mm-hmm. Duncan Keith's the guy that brought in who's making over $5 million. They had yep. Koskinen making over, was it, $4 million. Tyson Berry, not as good this year, not yeah. as valuable to them this year. The issue is paying those guys and them not giving you the value you need. Not. McDavid. Connor McDavid gives you above $12.5 million value. Yes, he's probably worth $20 million. And if I'm Connor McDavid or, you know, Austin Matthews or whoever, you know, gets thought of in this kind of conversation, it's more of why should I give up a million or a million and a half only for you to waste or potentially overpay somebody uh, who's worth $3 million, $4.5 million, right? Uh, that, that's, that's the issue I have with that. And the other thing, uh, the point I just want to make with Crosby, yes, he's only making an $8.7 million cap hit. But at the time, that was a very high percentage of the cap when he signed it. Yeah. And number two, it was like a 12-year deal, so it's worth $104 million. Yes. So he got his money. It's just before the eight-year max term came into the NHL CBA collective bargaining agreement. Let's bring in our next guest. Uh, worth $104 million to me and this show. It's David Pinota of the fourth period. What's happening, Pax? Wow, high praise. Jeez. <laughs> Is that why you were riding the bus alone today? What's going on over here, over yeah, there in yeah. Denver? I rented the entire thing myself. <laughs> That's my personal bus. Um, yeah. When people start running to it, I, I specifically, personally, close the door right in their face. It's awesome. <laughs> so, like, what, can you walk me through this? Because when I saw your Instagram post today, I was kind of laughing. Like, so... Media is is afforded a shuttle bus, I'm assuming, and you're getting ready to go to morning skate. You go jump on the shuttle bus, and you're the only media person on the bus. Yes, that's basically <laughs> so. Every day there's a shuttle that runs every half hour, starting at like 8:30 a.m. until I think off days are six, and game days it's like two hours after the game. So we get to go back and forth. I guess I mean I felt I was on time. 
Um, <laughs> a lot of people are at the rink, but I was the only the only guy on it at that point. So wow. needed to do a nice little selfie with all all my buddies. That's great. Uh, that's great. So uh, how was how was the game last night? The atmosphere looked absolutely incredible. Oh, it was fantastic. That that was one of the most exciting opening games to a Stanley Cup final I've seen in a, in a while. Um, it was it was just back and forth. The pace was great. Uh, the atmosphere was fantastic. The fans did their Blink One Eighty Two thing. It was it was just it was just a fun experience, and it was good hockey. It was a lot of back and forth, a little sloppiness from time to time from from a couple you know a couple points in the game. But I mean, overall, if, if this is a, an indication as to how the rest of the series is going to go, uh, we're in for one heck of a treat. Well, I mean, the intensity is always high for the Stanley Cup Final, but it just kind of seemed yeah. at the level was at a different height that we from, from what we've seen before. And maybe it's because, you know, last year it was Montreal against Tampa and, and you know, all credit to Montreal, just a team that's not at that same level. It, it's just, it is more electric, isn't it? And we have teams of this caliber and the yeah. stakes get a bit higher. Yeah, 100%. I mean, even Dallas the year yeah. before, I mean, this is not, the, the Stars and, and the Habs, with all due respect to those particular teams, they're not the Avalanche. Um, they're not the Lightning. So, we're getting star power on, on both sides of the table. And, and they're the ones that have really kind of controlled the pace of play, especially on Colorado's side in game one. I mean, this was a banged-up team after their, their sweep of the Oilers. I, I saw a lot of players afterwards um, in the hotel just kind of limping along, and they, they were a banged-up team. The nine days off definitely paid dividends for them, and, and it, it absolutely showed. I mean, Tampa's definitely going to adjust and, and shift their game plan going into game two on Saturday, but you've got star power on both sides. You've got strong defensive play on both sides. You've got a superstar in net for Tampa. You've got, you know, the superstar on the back end for the abs and in McCarr, who's just scratching the surface of what he can do. There's so many different storylines and so many key cogs on both of these rosters. When guys like Nick Paul and, and Arturi Lekkinen are counting on as much as they are, uh, it's it just, it's, it's intense. It's fun. It's exciting. I hope it resonates well on TV because it's definitely awesome to watch these two teams go at it. I'm not going to lie, Dave. As much as Colorado won that game, I don't know how confident I would be as an Avs fan after that game. Yeah, they were the better team, but it also went to overtime. And we know, especially given the history of this playoff that Tampa Bay's been through, they're only going to get better from here in the, in these play uh, in this series. Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, Overall, Colorado, for the most part, dominated the pace of play. But Tampa is so good that they just need little spurts here and there. And if you take your foot off the gas, if you accidentally look the wrong way, they're going to bite you. And we saw it in how quickly they were able to tie it up, down 3-1. And all of a sudden, you blink your eye, and it's, it's, it's a tie game a few minutes later. Um, you know, you can't take your foot off when you're playing this team, especially when the stakes are this high. And, like, Tampa's not really – I mean, they, they've lost five only, but five opening games of a series going back to the start of 2020 playoffs uh, when they went on this run. They lost game one to the Leafs. They lost game one to the Rangers and two. They lost game one to Dallas in their Stanley Cup final matchup a couple seasons ago. This is a team that doesn't necessarily – I think, look, they understand how the playoffs work. They understand it's a full series. 
so they don't necessarily overexert themselves in game one. There was a lot of feeling out from Tampa, discreet feeling out from, from the Bolts in game one. And they came close. They came close to finishing it off. And, and I mean, if they would have got come out one nothing in this series, it would have been totally by luck. John Cooper said that Colorado was definitely the better team and they deserved to win that game. Mm-hmm. But Tampa is sneaky good when it comes to trying to feel out the, the, the opposition. Watch the adjustments they're going to make in game two. They're going to be a little bit tighter, but also a little more explosive, I anticipate. Um, and giving Colorado a bit of uh, a taste of their own medicine. Well, I, th- I thought, you know, for, for as much as Colorado and we, nobody should have been surprised, Colorado would have the energy, the pace with the yep. first game of the cup final on home ice and Tampa coming in, you know, obviously only a couple of days before and they're going to fuel the altitude in that first bit. I wasn't surprised at all, but actually the mistakes that happened, I mean, the first goal that goes in and I know Mike McKenna went on Twitter and talked about how uh, that shot deflected before going five hole, but you know, that wasn't exactly a, you know, a pressure goal that happened. And then the headman giveaway, that was a bit of a cheap giveaway. I mean, there was some pressure, but for him, not enough for him to, you know, make that pass. So it was really a lot of Tampa Bay shooting themselves in the foot too. Yeah, uncharacteristically. Yeah. I mean, that was that was not a good game by Victor Hedman. Um, you know, that was this is the first time in in his playoff career Andre Vasilevsky has let up three goals in a first period. Uh, it was it was yeah the guys were a little bit off, and when you've played that much hockey, I mean it's, it's understandable. Um, but I mean for this team and for these players, they know the mistakes that they've made. I mean Ruda made a, a costly mistake, a costly giveaway that almost led to a goal. Um, there were a few other players that made some mistakes for the Tampa Bay Lightning, and I think that was primarily part of the feeling out process. Just how uh, uh, how offensively potent are the Avs going to be throughout the course of a game at any moment of a game? So that these kinds of little things, I, I mean, the players are definitely going to acknowledge and have that they played poorly, but I think it was also part of this whole process of trying to figure out exactly what they're up against in a series against a team in which they haven't really seen much of. So you're going to see Victor Hedman playing a lot tighter. You're going to see Vassy rebound, I would imagine, and have a heck of a performance in game two. Um, there are going to be some adjustments that are definitely going to be made, and Colorado's going to have to be ready for it. David Pinota, our guest here on, uh, on Canuck Central. So uh, away from the ice a little bit, uh, some news coming uh, with a trade today. The Vegas Golden Knights acquiring Shea Weber, future Hall of Famer, for Evgeny Dodonov. And this time they had the uh, trade rights, I think, right for (laughs) Dodonov, and the trade was able to go through, as was evidenced by the Anaheim Ducks with their reply (laughs) to the tweet. It's so good. So, so good. Um, How does, like, okay, I get this helps Vegas spend into LTIR until, you know, kingdom come, but this still doesn't really help a lot of their immediate fixes. Like this, they still have to shed more cap space before they can add anything significant to this roster this offseason. Not necessarily. Okay. Um, yeah, so so you clear up. So they were over, the, I think they had about a hundred or 200,000 in cap space right now. So you eliminate the 5 million of Dodonov's contract. Right, because you're effectively going to put the 7.8 plus of Shea Weber's contract on LTIR once the season starts. So you've got that overage space. So you basically have 12.8 million dollars to play with later on in the season. You have to be cap compliant um, by I think the day before 
the regular season. Uh, and you can place Weber on LTIR then. But this gives them a lot more flexibility because prior to this, now they've been working on a Dodonov trade for a little over a week, might have been a little bit more than that, but give or take a week, trying to come up with a few different options on moving his contract out. And there were teams that were poking around on Max Pacioretty to see, mm-hmm. well, you know, okay, you're going to lose out on him, but you need, you got to move out more money. What are the chances you're going to consider moving him? So it ended up working out for them. Works out for the Canadians too, with the uncertainty of Carey Price and his $10.5 million cap hit would have just been a, a very problematic mathematically um, to kind of fit everything on LTIR, trying to get um, compliant, all that fun stuff. So for, from Vegas's perspective, they've given themselves a pretty good buffer here. You know, around the trade deadline, there was belief that Riley Smith had verbally agreed to an extension, and they were going to figure that out once in the offseason, once they figured out their cap situation. Wouldn't surprise me if we hear something in the fairly near future, or at least before July 13th, that he re-ups with the Knights. And if that's the case, you got to imagine around four, four and a half million, he'll take a, a bit of a dip off the five. That extra space that Weber creates gives them a lot more flexibility. Well, and you know it's interesting because already I can I can see the text inbox and I can see I, I can imagine a lot of our listeners listening and hearing you say twelve point five million in LTIR space. Like, how is this allowed to happen? Well, well, it's very clear that this is allowed to happen and will be allowed to happen because Gary Bedman was asked about that a recent well yesterday I think it was and he said. That's just yep. smart cap management. So for anybody wondering if this is off, like teams are allowed to do this. And this is going to be more prevalent now, isn't it? Because there's zero repercussions for you to go as deep as you can into LTIR. We, had, we did the pregame show um, uh, for, for the cup final on, on NHL Network Radio and Sirius XM. We had Gary on, Gary Bettman on. And that was one of the first questions we asked him to kind of reiterate that position. He was like, this, this rule has been around for 17 years. Like nothing has changed. Teams were able to do it then. They're able to do it now. Every team is on board with it. Um, it's not as, I mean, it's, it, it comes with some costs. Obviously you've got to pay the money. You've got to be prepared to, to, to overspend and, and to dig deep into your pockets. If you want to end up, you know, coughing up this kind of cash in order to give yourself some cap flexibility. Um, but teams have been doing this, for the last few seasons, we're just seeing it more and more because a lot of the teams that have been doing it, specifically the Tampa Bay Lightning, have won the Cup the last two years. Vegas gets Jack Eichel. They're trying to figure out the cap situation, how they're going to make it work. Like The league monitors this a lot. And a lot of the teams that are most polarized publicly under the spotlight, these are teams, I mean, there are a lot of teams that try to get away with a lot of crap. And Bill Daly acknowledged this yesterday that his primary job is, or one of his primary jobs, but when it comes to the cap, one of his primary jobs, cap related, is making sure these teams are cap compliant. And he's had to slap a few people on the wrist, say, nope, you can't do that, fix it, um, with respect to call ups and, and keeping guys on LTIR a little bit longer than they're supposed to be. They monitor this consistently. So it's in the rules. It's an extra 7.8 that they can exceed the cap once the season starts, if they get to that point. Um, and, and this, look, they don't necessarily have to do that now. This goes for any team. They can make adjustments as the season progresses and say, okay, we've got this extra space. We don't need to necessarily spend it all now. We've got trade deadline flexibility now to see exactly where we need to add, and we've got the cap space to do it. It's, it's really smart management. I just I can't get over how that isn't uh, circumvention of the cap versus 
uh, the long-term contracts with the cap recapture penalties and all of that. That's 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 the one thing I don't get. Yeah. You know, why was Gary Bettman so mad about that? But he's not mad about this. It's arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I would I would love the uh, for, and they're not going to do it, um, not anytime soon anyway. But I would love for there to be a luxury tax put in place. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. It just makes life a lot easier. Teams that want to spend the extra money can do it. They pay the little penalty or whatever it is. I would rather that be the case than having to deal with this kind of stuff. But, I mean, the teams don't – I mean, none of the Board of Governors have made a big stink about it, So and none of the GMs have either. So this is what we're living with. He is uh, David Pinota of the fourth period joining us here on, uh, on Canuck Central. So uh, we see this trade here. Obviously the finals are still going on, but uh, it's going to be quite the offseason. We know Vegas isn't done yep. yet. Uh, Philly is, is going to be an interesting one. They're just getting uh, John Tortorella into their doors. Um, mm-hmm. When are the fireworks? <laughs> is this the kickoff of the fireworks starting well, for the offseason? It, it very well could be because Kent Hughes, the GM of the Habs, said today during his press conference or, or video Zoom conference, whatever it was, um, that they're not done, that there's more coming. Uh, kind of hinting at that. So does that include Jake Allen? Does that include Jeff Petrie? Is it Mike Hoffman? Is it Josh Anderson? Um, what else are they going to end? Is it Donov? Do they end up flipping them? Um, the, the Habs aren't done. There's going to be some, some movement there. Um, we've got teams that are looking to buy and add to their roster. That includes the, uh, the LA Kings, the New York Islanders, the New Jersey Devils, the Flyers, as you mentioned. The Leafs got to figure out a few things. Obviously, we know that the Canucks are trying to figure a few things out with some of their players. They've got other guys that are available that they're, mm-hmm. that they're looking to move. You're, you're going to hear Pearson. You're going to hear um, uh, Myers. You're going to hear a few other guys. And that's just not exclusive to Vancouver. Like These kinds of players are going to be discussed on almost every team. It's going to be pretty active. Like Seattle's another team that wants to add yeah. as well. So you could see quite a bit of movement. And You've got the first-round picks for a lot of teams in play. The Islanders' picks in play, Ottawa's, New Jersey's, Philly's, um, Columbus's, I believe, theirs as well, the sixth overall and the 20-whatever they got. So um, we could see a lot of fireworks and creativity here in these next three or four weeks. Well, and there seems to be at least one decision that's going to be happening pretty quick from a free agent, and that is Andre Kuzmenko, who at the time of yep. this discussion is probably meeting with Canucks Brass and, and getting, a, getting a lay of the land here in Vancouver mm-hmm. as we speak. We're probably going to get a decision pretty soon on it. I mean, for Vancouver, do they have an edge on some of these other teams? Or is it going to be really competitive here, do you think, between Edmonton and, and perhaps another destination as well? Yeah, there's a couple, I think two or three other teams beyond the Canucks and Oilers that are still in the mix on him. Um, I know they met with the Oilers yesterday. Like you said, they're probably having a, maybe they're having a spro right now um, <laughs> together so you didn't, in Vancouver. Yeah. So, you know, they're they're having... The, the, the Canucks certainly, I think from, from the most part, they're certainly in on it because obviously they're meeting. Um, but I think it's going to be best fit. Uh, this is a player who did really well in the last few seasons in the K, and his, his performance and his numbers year after year got better and better and better. Uh, so I think it really is going to come down to, to not money, because, I mean, pretty much everybody's going to be in the same ballpark, uh, but fit. Where is he going to play? What are the opportunities is he a top six guy? Is he second line? Are you throwing him on the first line? Is there an opportunity to play with Elias Pettersson? Is it an opportunity to play with Connor McDavid or, you know, Trevor Zegras or whomever? Um, th- 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 these kinds of things are going to be important for this player who's in his mid-20s, 
has performed and excelled in the K, wants to bring his game overseas, excuse, well, overseas for him on our side, and see if he follows in guys like Panarin's footsteps where they come over a little bit later on and do really, really well. Um, that's his hope. That's the team's hope. It's just a matter of fit at this point. Where is Who's going to give him the best opportunity? Uh, keep our boy Earth in, uh, in good stead, all right? I think he's taking a nap right now. <laughs> that sounds like Earth. <laughs> yeah. Midday uh, nap. Appreciate the time as always, pal. Thanks for this. You got it. Thanks, boys. Uh, there is uh, David Pignotta of the fourth period joining us here on Canucks Central from Denver, where the Colorado Avalanche have a one nothing series lead. Game two going on Saturday, and uh, we'll have the Sportsnet. Uh, we'll have the Stanley Cup playoffs and finals here on Sportsnet 650 for the entirety of this best of seven. Um, Bet on hockey like never before with Play Now Sports, your local BC sportsbook. And speaking of Game 2, the early lines are out at playnow.com, Sat. A lot like Game 1 lines. Yes. Uh, 162 on the money line for the Avs, 235 for the Tampa Bay Lightning. But what has changed significantly now, so we both like the Lightning in six. I know we both felt Colorado did have the edge going into game one. Yes. So if we just waited to play the series, now all of a sudden we're getting $3.30 on the money line, which is close to a dollar more than it was before yesterday's game one. It's not bad. Yep. It's a good time to get in on it. Now is the time to really get in, get in on it. And, and hey, listen, if even if they go down 2 nothing. Uh, that's still a time for you to maybe on a long shot keep them in mind. It's going to be harder to come down, come back from 0-2 against Colorado than it has been against, say, the New York Rangers. But still yeah. doable from a team that you know has done things like that in the past. But it's a good time to get in on that right yeah. now. I like that. And I also like uh, Tampa to win Game 2. Oh. Tampa to come back and win Game 2. Uh, that's They're going to make some adjustments. Yeah. Hedman's going to be better. Uh, you know, and... We had this discussion in our pre-show meeting. Was Hedman so terrible, or did he just have a few really poor moments? Um, you know, it's probably more of the latter than anything else because the Lightning did shore their game up after the first period. I felt, and that's going to be huge for them. They need Victor Hedman to be that guy, and they also need mm-hmm. Andre Vasilevsky to be that guy because there's just there's no way you can stop or slow Colorado down enough. I think what Jared Bednar said last night after the game, you know, he said he they watched a lot of the Toronto series. They feel like they're a similar matchup for Tampa to what Toronto was. I feel like it's, it's kind of a bit of a, a template for how this series looks, and it's going to be a lot of back and forth through the games. Yeah, it's going to, I mean, it's a tough series. And, and the advantage would have clearly significantly gone in Tampa's way had they won game one. Yeah. And we talked about that yesterday. I said, hey, if Tampa wins game one, Colorado's... What's the pathway to a short series? Colorado losing game one. Yeah. You know, it could have been a five-game series if that happens or something along those lines. But then winning is massive. But I still look at how the game was played and Hedman can be a lot better than what he was. And I even I don't even think he was all that bad. He just made a few bad mistakes. Just was sloppy. Vasilevsky can be cleaner than that too. Those two guys will bounce back. And on that alone, I think they'll be a lot better. But also if they have a bit more energy... Yeah. I think that'll help him a lot, especially in the first period. One other thing, with the amount of love Valerian Nachushkin is getting, 
Like, yeah. Do you think there's some Con Smythe opportunity there? He's paying seventy six to one. <laughs> uh, I mean seventy six to one. Listen, uh, okay, so this is this is what I was gonna say. I, I get the Stamkos stuff. To me, that's academic because it's really a four horse race. Yeah. And how often do you have a, a clear four horse race for the Con Smythe? Not very often. Where it's no. McCarr, McKinnon, and Kucherov and Vasilevsky. And really, it's McCarr and Vasilevsky. If yeah. you really want to want to take it down. So all those four. And it's at least two on each side are going to have to really go back throughout the series for somebody else to jump up. And if you're going to go that off the board, may as well take Nichuskin. <laughs> if you want to go off the board, take Hedman. But it's really, that's why, like to me, I get the value in it, but it's more academic because this yeah. year, practically, I don't see that hitting anything outside those four. As good as he's played, 15 games, six goals, five assists, 11 points. Um, it's just funny because after he made that assist to Burkowski in overtime, it's just. The Valerian Nachushkin lovin is uh, full on. He's a free agent this offseason. Will be yeah. uh, highly sought after. Like Minor Matt and Abbasford says, it only took him a decade to figure it out. Uh, <laughs> I'd say he's a candidate for a huge drop-off. I mean, it, he's, it's a bit dangerous to give him a big contract. I mean, yeah. look at the team he's playing on. He's good, but yeah. like, you know. Could his number start with a five? Probably. Depends on what team. It's uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. When we come back, get uh, ready for the draft. Scott Wheeler's going to join us. More draft coverage next here on your home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.